Hey, and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. On the show over the past few months, we've discussed a bunch of different ways in which the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic has challenged communities across Ohio. In addition to the crisis itself, to name just a few of these perspectives, we've talked about the health effects of deferred medical visits, but also the financial effects of those deferments on Ohio's health centers. And we've discussed the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on people of color and how kids are handling the disruptions in their routines and processing fear. We've also talked about how businesses around Ohio, especially restaurants and bars, were planning to handle the reopening. On today's episode, we look at how the coronavirus is impacting Ohio's robust nonprofit sector, which, as you'll hear, was not only hit hard, but poses a particular challenge to our state because so many Ohioans depend on the services provided by these nonprofits, especially during difficult economic times. And not only do Ohioans depend on the work that nonprofits do, but thousands are employed by them as well, making them both something of a safety net as well as a critical employment force within Ohio's economy. To better understand the issue, I talk with Michael Wilkos from the United Way of Central Ohio and Michael Corey from the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County. As always, before turning to our guests, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and Instagram, friending us on Facebook and etc. etc. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our extensive show notes for today's episode posted at wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. And also, as you may know, we also have a Patreon account. We've really appreciated those of you who've shown your appreciation for the podcast by becoming patrons. It's really helpful to us, especially as we hope to be taking some big steps in the coming months to make the show a bit more of a professional and sustainable operation. Also, to sweeten the deal, all patrons will receive t-shirts when we have our first live event this fall. So keep that in mind. They're going to be really cool shirts. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in just three bucks a month and become a Prognosis Ohio patron. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Michael Wilkos is Senior Vice President of Community Impact at the United Way of Central Ohio. His team is tasked with developing effective strategies to improve our community and invest in programs provided by funded partners to implement those strategies. Before joining United Way, Michael was a Director of Community Research at the Columbus Foundation. During his tenure at the foundation, he initiated, led, and managed more than $9 million in competitive grant making to support holistic community revitalization in Wineland Park, an effort to stabilize and revitalize a mixed-income community near The Ohio State University. Michael Corey is the Executive Director of the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County. An attorney, Michael graduated from Ohio State's Moritz College of Law in 2012 as Executive Director of the Ohio State Law Journal. After practicing healthcare law at a regional law firm here in Columbus for three years, Michael worked as a policy analyst at an area nonprofit in voter protection during the 2016 presidential campaign. Michael Wilkos from the United Way and Michael Corey from the Human Service Chamber. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having us. So let's start with some basics just to make sure that our listeners are, uh, you know, on the same page here, as they say. Um, let's start with Michael Wilkos. Can you just give us the, you know, the short take on what the United Way of Central Ohio is and what it does? Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. We have been around for 97 years. And United Way um, aggregates tens of thousands of small gifts donated by folks here in Central Ohio 
and we are focused on a few areas of trying to make Columbus a better place. Uh, that is about basic needs, making sure hunger and homelessness and access to health care are addressed. Uh, kids are ready for kindergarten, kids graduate high school on time, people live in strong neighborhoods, and they have access to good jobs, and we have fund about 80 nonprofit partners in Franklin County that um, track outcomes and turn in reports to us three times a year, so we know that we've selected the most effective programs in Central Ohio. And you say you're an aggregator, so I'm guessing that means you bring in a kind of a general revenue and then sort of figure out how to best utilize it, something like that? Correct. We raise uh, just over $30 million from uh, donors here in Central Ohio and invest those dollars uh, back into nonprofits here in the community. So let's turn to Michael Corey, and I think we agreed that we'll go with Mike to keep the Michaels uh, separate here. Um, Mike, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County does and is? Sure. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, the Human Service Chamber is an advocacy and member services organization uh, representing and serving uh, about 85 health and human services nonprofits right now. Uh, we've been around for about a decade. Um, and uh, I've been in the role since uh, April of 2017, and, and since then we've broadened our focus from its original local advocacy focus to um, much broader local, state, and federal, in addition to trying to provide critical member services just like a traditional chamber of commerce would do. Um, and that has certainly kept us plenty busy over the last four months or so trying to serve the sector uh, through this particular range of crises that are intertwining in so many unfortunate ways. So you had to bring up the last four months. I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, on this show, we've had a lot of different conversations from a lot of different angles. Um, we've talked to, you know, healthcare professionals. We've talked to people from, uh, you know, membership-based um, professional organizations. Um, there, there are any number of stories to tell. And I was particularly interested in, you know, the surveys that you've been doing. I mean, I guess you you now have a snapshot, your two organizations together of what the kind of challenges are of Central Ohio's nonprofits. And, you know, it's unsurprising that volunteer networks have been really strained. I, I know medical students who want to volunteer places and are being told they can't because we're social distancing. Um, so I wonder if we could just, you know, talk a little bit about what that is. Um, there's a drag on gift gifting, I'm guessing, but what are some of the items that you'd like to pull out? Maybe we can put this to Michael Wilkos first. Sure. We have uh, done three surveys, did one in March, very soon after the pandemic had changed uh, life as we know it, uh, did a follow-up in April, and then one in May. It's worth noting that about 75 to 80% of United Way-funded uh, nonprofits are also members of the Human Service Chamber. And both uh, the, the Human Service Chamber and United Way started to get really thoughtful um, feedback from our members about how social distancing in the pandemic was affecting their work. And so uh, we moved very quickly to try to understand what was happening there. And I think maybe the biggest uh, shock was when we looked at about 80, uh, we had 85 or 89 organizations that completed the survey. I think the first uh, impact was about a month into the pandemic, we learned that uh, 18% of all of our funded programs, there are about 1,000 programs getting delivered by this network, it represents nearly 15,000 employees. So when we talk about nonprofits, it's important to first acknowledge some of these are very large nonprofits with hundreds of employees. We're not talking about just 
maybe two people working part-time in the basement of a church. These are large, sophisticated organizations like the YMCA and Community Shelter Board, Life Care Alliance, um, and Mid-Ohio Food Collective. So about 18% of programs had been suspended altogether. Another 62% were working at a limited capacity, but only 20% of our funded programs were working as they had been working in the beginning of March. And so I think that was the first um, concern we had was that the nonprofit sector, which is the frontline defense for so many people who are struggling, had dramatically seen changes in their business model. So I have to say, when I looked at your data, um, not to undermine the, uh, the the seriousness of it, but I actually wasn't surprised at all, right? That number seemed about what I might expect because just another way to help us appreciate the scope of what we were going through. So were you surprised by that? Was it kind of right what you thought or were there parts of the data? And I can put this to... Um, you know, t- to Mike, uh, Corey, uh, were, were there aspects of this that were really surprising? And how are you starting to use the the more fine-grained data you got? Well, I think uh, we certainly knew enough going into the surveys being put in the water that the numbers were going to be disconcerting. But I think the severity of the financial loss and its diversity across individual fundraisers giving um, fee-for-services and whatnot was was jarring, if nothing else. And there was certainly an initial wave of furloughs and layoffs that hit the sector hard. I think the figure we landed on was 15,000 employed. It was about 12,000 still had their jobs after about six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've also been very impressed by the uh, ability for the sector to evolve quickly. Um, when Governor DeWine issued the executive order shutting down the state, uh, there was a specific carve out for the front lines and that was for the health and human services sector. Uh, so a vast majority of these agencies continued operating, they just had to do it in a very different way. And uh, I've been pleasantly surprised at their efficacy in doing so despite many of the restrictions that exist and, and the diminished flow of dollars uh, and the diminished ability to provide all of the programs they've been providing prior to this crisis. Um, that, that's been a good surprise for sure. Um, I think one of the unfortunate surprises has been the difficulty in getting a range of um, protective equipment that all the sector, all the agencies need. Um, I think with a, a lack of federal leadership, uh, we've seen that um, in states across the country. And that's, it's been states' responsibilities and municipalities' responsibilities to work with local nonprofits and hospitals and other organizations to try and meet various needs that exist. And unfortunately, that need has not yet been alleviated, despite many wonderful efforts that have been ongoing and are continuing. Um, but in terms of the uh, you know, severity of the challenges that this crisis is, is placed upon the sector, um, it's, you know, it's still jarring, even though other sectors have, in fact, been hurt even more. Um, due to the kind of businesses they operate. But the difference is the health and human services sector has been turned to by all the people that have found themselves on harder times because of this crisis. So this sector, unlike others that have been harder hit, is having to scale up to meet the billowing needs, even while they're dealing with significant challenges to the business and how they operate it. Right. It's this incredibly, you know, um, I don't know what the right metaphor is, but this dynamic in which just when people need that sector more and more, 
you're probably getting less put into that sector. I mean, a lot of like Medicaid works like this, right? During times of mass unemployment, more people go into Medicaid, but you have less revenue going in from the tax side. So, you know, we, we depend on these organizations to be in the role. And the other thing that I've noticed, and I mean, this is not just in Ohio, but these are people who care a lot about Ohio and they care about their work. I've seen some really creative things going on. And and I think you do need to get creative in a, in a moment like this. I, I wonder if you have any anecdotes about, you know, before we turn to just a little bit of the healthcare stuff, any, anything you've seen some of these organizations do, um, you know, that, that might be worth calling out or spotlighting. So I'll uh, give a, a quick example. I mean, think about all of the summer programming that, uh, youth would typically participate in. And we already know that there's a significant summer uh, reading loss and educational loss. Uh, so I was talking to a nonprofit director recently, and they bought a 360 camera. Uh, they have a camp just outside the 270. Much Many kids who live in urban neighborhoods don't get to experience nature. So now they have a person who's walking the trails with a 360 camera and participants can watch this person walking through the trails alone, and they can ask the person with the camera to pivot this way or look at something another way, and people can ask questions and participate that um, without actually going to the camp. I mean, it's not as good as actually walking through the woods or or being a kid and getting muddy in a creek, uh, but at least it's a way for them to uh, stay connected. That's a, a really small example. I appreciate that you said the the not as good part. I mean, it's interesting. You know, uh, I know that a lot of the services uh, provided by organizations that you work with have done what we've seen in the healthcare sector, which is you know telemedicine and kind of moving as much as they could possibly online. And in some ways, there's some parts of that that people have really liked that I think will stay, where there's value added. It actually helped solve other problems. But there's also just that other reality that being in the same space with people is a really important part of our society, you know, like doing work together or sharing a cup of coffee and a conversation or delivering services to seniors um, directly like that, that kind of connectivity. So you know, I wonder, I wonder how moving forward, you know, we're going to balance, well, that worked, but of course it wasn't exactly ideal. We did the best we could. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dan. And, uh, you know, we work with a lot of health providing nonprofits in a range of areas. And of course, they didn't really have the option of, of uh, restricting their services. They just had to evolve them. And, and a lot of the caseworkers and social workers in the front lines were really reluctant um, to change the way they do business because it is such a hands-on approach. Uh, my significant other uh, it works the YMCA of Central Ohio, and it was difficult for her and her team to do that. So I got to see that from, from her perspective as well. It's very challenging. Um, but there are absolutely elements of the telemedicine that I think are going to resonate and, and will be part of um, not the new normal, but what we evolve into um, as a community and as a sector uh, in delivering services that, that everyone will have to continue pivoting toward. Um, and before we um, get away from the point, I wanted to flag one other um, sort of innovation that I've seen a lot of our agencies embrace, and that's been online fundraisers. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of skepticism as to the longevity of those, um, but one of our members, Freedom a la Carte, um, turned their annual major fundraiser, Eat Out Columbus or Eat Up Columbus, into Eat In Columbus. And they ended up raising a record amount of money. Um, hmm. Had 330-some participants. 
uh, and worked with um, some really helpful organizations to help them pull that off and had, of course, great relationships that they'd already built with a lot of the in-person interactions um, that are in place, but had everyone from their, their staff and clients and, and traditional donors participating, as well as the Attorney General of the State of Ohio uh, in, in, that, in that special event. And we've seen a lot of agencies find some success in that space as well. Um, it's, it's, inertia has fallen away in a lot of ways, things that people have sought to do for some time, and there just hasn't been enough political capital or will or urgency to do it, and agencies have had to do that. And I think we've seen that in a range of areas over the last four months. For slightly obvious reasons, you know, nonprofits do, as we mentioned, get hit harder or, you know, when we're in the midst of really difficult, difficult economic times. And these are precisely the times where we need them, you know, the most and we feel um, the importance that they have to our society. You know, in your in your press release, you note that now more than ever, nonprofit leaders could use the aid and expertise of Central Ohio's professional business community, particularly with uh, information technology, strategic planning, and human resources. Yeah, I wonder. This is an appeal for kind of this identification of this particular need we have. Um, so let's make the pitch to them here. So, what do you want those in a position to contribute to shoring up uh, Ohio's nonprofits? Uh, what do you want them to know or to think about? So I'll start on that, Dan. Uh, it was really important that while we knew that nonprofits were, you know, 90% of our member agencies had reported some loss in revenue, right? So as Michael had mentioned, everything from fundraisers, individual donations, the fee-for-service, government reimbursement, social enterprises, like across the board, uh, they had lost revenue. Um, and yet PPP turned out to be the personal protection um, uh, payment protection program turned out to be very effective for our nonprofit members. So what we learned in our surveys, 86% of the members that applied for that, uh, those dollars did receive those monies. And I think that really helped um, shore up the network. But we know that this isn't just this past four months. It's going to be through the rest of the year. It's going to be all of 2021. We know the economic recovery is going to take some time. And that need for professional business or technical support was really important because we knew there would not be the ability to raise all of the money from, say, the donor community to replace what has been lost. But we know that Columbus is blessed by having lots of great companies and they have talent. And so when it comes to helping an organization now navigate legislation or changes to policy and procedural manuals, how to do employee benefits and hours and uh, all those kinds of compensations between having a staff that's working all virtually. Well, that is uh, a technical assistance that large companies can help train and provide that service. So now that we have this level of detail, specifically, what are the hardware needs, software needs, strategic planning, HR needs that you have as an organization, and how can the corporate sector help out? And now we're in the process of starting to make the connections between businesses that offer that technical assistance and would be willing to offer that technical assistance to a nonprofit for free. And uh, we're lucky to live in a community with so many great corporate partners that can do that. So, you know, I, I should have mentioned this before, but I will be linking in our show notes um, and on social media to the, the study, um, but also, you know, some links to provide people the, the, the means to be able to make these connections if they, if they do want to um, step up and offer something like that or have that conversation. I'd like to ask you about 
and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but balancing short-term needs um, with the building of long-term capacity. So we just all went through this in March, April, and May, especially. Um, just this um, responding, we were in a defensive mode. We were just trying to figure out how to protect ourselves or how to um, deal with what was coming. There wasn't a lot of space for thinking about the longer view during a lot of that. But I wonder if you're there now. I mean, are there any opportunities from the experience we've just had, as hard as it is and as as much work as we have to do to kind of get back to where things were, is there something we've learned that might be really useful going forward? Um, you see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to find a silver lining right. that is um, helping us to think forward a little bit. Yeah, I think that there are um, absolutely lessons we've already learned uh, and one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is ensure that, well, let me start with this. Uh, we've seen tragically and quickly how much this crisis has exacerbated and preyed upon inequities and exacerbated and preyed upon racism in our systems. And we are working very hard to ensure that whatever we're doing now uh, and whatever we identify as solutions now can be thinking about and focused on um, how we address inequities and racism concurrent with trying to meet the range of health and human services needs that people have. Um, and there are lots of ways in which that can be done, but um, getting people to agree that we need to do that has been a victory all by itself, um, a, a victory amidst, of course, uh, significant tragedy, um, both from the public health element of this as well as the uh, many ripple effects economically and in other um, areas of public health that are, that are now being negatively affected by by the way we've had to respond to this. Um, I think we've identified a need for a more accessible transportation access. How do we make our ability to get from A to B to C, from appointment to class, to work, um, to childcare, um, easier and faster and less expensive? Um, how do we share data amongst organizations across sectors, um, even across elements of government and not government and business. How, how do we do that better, faster, if at all, if it's even being done at all? Um, how do we have broadband for the entire community? That can benefit everyone um, now and certainly long term as well. There, there are all sorts of elements of infrastructure that we can build or we can make better um, and that we're identifying as significant weaknesses now that maybe we knew weaknesses before, um, but we see the urgency in ensuring that they're either short up or they're far better than they have been. So what about in healthcare specifically? You know, I and you you touched on some really important parts of that, but I'm wondering, you know, when when people are when their consciousness is raised when they're aware of things like systematic racism or they're aware of things like health disparities or what we've seen with uh, nursing homes and assisted living facilities and things like that, um, there, there has to be the ability to harness that consciousness to some degree so we can get to the next um, next level where we have learned a, a tangible lesson that can take their, uh, that we can take with us. I wonder if you could just speak a little bit to Specifically, the the the, the, stat, the state of nonprofits in our area in Central Ohio, Franklin County, um, that are engaged in this kind of health work. What have we learned in the healthcare sector? Well, I think from um, the easiest thing to point at is we we had to turn to telemedicine in some form or another 
And we, uh, of course, assumed that would be a satisfactory replacement. And of course, it's not. Um, and we've identified <laughs> and knew before, but identified surely the many challenges and inequities that exist in that space alone. And that, of course, doesn't affect just health. It affects education, many other elements. Um, but disproportionately, uh, people in our community that don't have access either to the web service or to the technology that they need um, are affecting communities of color in our community. Um, mm -hmm. So it was easy for us to say, let's move everything online and we can just leave it there without thinking about the disproportionate effect that was going to have on, on communities of, of color. Um, in, in school attendance alone, there has been a crisis in truancy, um, not only here, but across the country, um, where kids just can't log in. Um, and I suspect the same has been true in the healthcare space, though I haven't seen any data on that front. And one of the very specific asks that um, the United Way and the Human Service Chamber have uh, is to try and identify the very hardware and software that can be made available not only to the nonprofits, whether healthcare providers or otherwise, but as well as to the clients and to the people that they're trying to serve and to the community and try and bridge that gap. Um, that's that's a, a need that we've known about for some time. There have been statewide efforts for there to be statewide broadband, I think even more specifically thinking about the rural communities of our state. Uh, yeah. And the expediency of that has been underscored many times over, not just in our rural communities, but in our big cities too. Yeah, and I think there is another silver lining here that might be hard to see and that, uh, for the nonprofit sector. Uh, what had been a challenge for the sector up until the pandemic and the social unrest of the past month was that despite a really strong national and local economy, the percentage of people who are struggling was still being at a relatively high level. In fact, the number of people who were at 200% of federal poverty was 32% of Franklin County. And there was this belief after you know eight or nine years of a strong economy that if things aren't working for you, you've made some bad choices. And now all of a sudden, a lot of people realize that they became vulnerable very quickly. And this, I think, new level of consciousness, Dan, that you alluded to, is starting to mean that millions of people are recognizing that challenges many people face is not due to making poor decisions, but is about systems, systems that don't let people get ahead, even when times are good. One of the things that has struggled over the last couple of years, giving has been up internationally, it's up for animals, but it wasn't always up for helping people because there was this sense a strong economy should help rise all boats. That wasn't happening before, but the nonprofit sector was having a difficult job communicating the challenges. Now the narrative about we're all in this together has shifted, and hopefully that will have long-term implications to support the nonprofit sector through engagement, through donors, and through volunteerism. If I could jump in too, Michael, I really appreciate yeah. how well you made that point. Um, one of the other unique challenges, especially of the last three years, and I'll just throw out the elephant in the room here, has been that there's been an unprecedented attack on the health and human services sector from the White House and from the federal agencies over the last over the stretch of time. And there hasn't been uh, a component of the sector that hasn't at least had its funding threatened severely. We're still fighting draconian SNAP restrictions and rollbacks. Um, there are ongoing attempts to roll back immigration, legal immigration, uh, as well as uh, immigration that is more legally dubious. Uh, it has been under unique duress, and that has put 
considerable strain on the breadth of the sector. I mean, they wanted to zero out legal aid, for goodness sake, um, which has extraordinary ripple effects. All of that pressure was in place before this. And I would suggest that it's made it even harder um, for the sector to respond favorably in this time. And one of my hopes is that we see how imperative it is that we properly fund the organizations that are trying to help our people, our neighbors, ourselves. And I think I, I share Michael's optimism that this is a moment of galvanization and realization that tragically we couldn't get everyone to agree upon or at least see before. And it's sad that it took a global pandemic that's already taken 120,000 American lives for us to see that. And it's tragic that it took that for us to understand and embrace the fact that racism is unfortunately still intertwined in our systems, making it harder for people to live the lives they want to live. But we, we have that attention. We have that galvanization now. And it's imperative that we change the way we do things. We, we can't go back to normal. We have to go back. We have to go towards something far better. And we're going to have to continue suffering on our way there. Um, but we can get through this better and stronger um, if we keep our eye on the ball and address this collaboratively as a community and as a country. You know, returning to normal was this narrative that was so appealing for so long. And I, I'm with you. I became increasingly frightened that we were going to return to normal because that would signify that we hadn't really learned anything. Um, you know, of course, I mean, we're also a little bit on edge trying to figure out if we what we've learned, if anything, and, and whether there is an unevenness in that, you know, differential uh, mask use, for example, and different people who seem to have the le learned different lessons about their own vulnerability, you know, and uh, I, I wonder how we how we harness that to make sure that those lessons don't get lo uh, lost. But also, I wonder, um, you know, just about what it will take. Um, I, I, for example, think about, and you pointed to this a little bit, you know, vaccination and, and mask use, just things that we do for others. And when I think about nonprofits that are functioning around Franklin County and Central Ohio generally, um, these are other focused places. These are places that have always been about others. And right now we are in a little bit of a push-pull where I think um, that's to be determined. And, you know, I just, I wonder as you move forward and you think about the role, the longer view role that nonprofits play in partnership with other entities, um, what does it look like down the line? I mean, ha have new partnerships formed out of all of this? Are there talks in place for ways to keep them together if they have? I think that there's a new realization that, I mean, what we can accomplish individually or representing our organization, that a collective impact approach is what's going to get that done. And that means the private sector, government, and the nonprofit sector will have to work collaboratively, collaboratively to address those inequities, whether that's in kind of service delivery or attacking racism. The nonprofit sector needs to address implicit bias and racism within the nonprofit sector. But if we only do that within the nonprofit sector, it doesn't change the systems that are around it, both in the for-profit business or in government. So if we're going to make sure that all of the children in Franklin County are, are reaching their full potential, that burden is not going to lie at the feet of the nonprofit sector. But now there's a new understanding of collective impact that if we work together, it actually benefits all of the goals of our individual system. But we all just have a 
part and piece of the puzzle to play. And I think for many people, there is a higher level and a new consciousness of how those pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together. And when everybody does better, it's better for you as well. That's, that's my hope. Yeah, I think I heard a very wise person um, speaking in Minneapolis, out of Minneapolis, rather, it was a Zoom call, of course, a few weeks ago. And she said, you know, you can't, out, you can't program your way out of poverty. We know that. But you sure as heck can't policy your way out of it. And I think one of the positive changes I've already seen locally where we already had great relationships and across the state where we had great relationships and across party lines, congressionally, where we had great relationships, there's a much greater willingness and eagerness to learn from nonprofit CEOs as well as the people that they serve. And I think that nonprofits and these business CEOs running nonprofit agencies being at the table from the start um, in shaping policy and regulation and the way we tackle big challenges uh, is going to be a very positive change. Um, and I think we've seen that already. Um, we have submitted, in addition to our reports in conjunction with United Way, we've been submitting weekly reports to our local, state, and federal elected officials every week since this crisis began, giving them uh, a qualitative and quantitative sense of what our agencies are seeing on the ground week to week. And they've been reading it. And that has been, I think, in conjunction with the more in-depth numbers that we've been able to provide with United Way, uh, really impactful in trying to shape some of their priorities. So, for example, um, the city of Columbus and Franklin County have received, in the aggregate, over $200 million of CARES money. Um, and I think because of the voice that they've been listening to and learning from in the nonprofit space over this stretch, um, they've made a commitment and already have invested significant amounts of those CARES dollars into the nonprofit sector to help them meet the billowing needs here. Furthermore, I think that there have been a lot of really powerful collaborations that have been um, deepened uh, or created anew across nonprofits and the Ohio State University, Battelle, Columbus State, uh, arts organizations as well. I mean, this is going to be all hands on deck for some time. And it could have been and was in um, le lesser ways th the case before. But I think that's going to change dramatically going forward, as we, as Michael said, as we realize that when we lock arms, we can do a heck of a lot more together for everybody. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to wrap up the conversation. We're going to be, uh, you know, supplying listeners with all sorts of resources so they can plug in, find out ways, even if they don't have deep pockets or, or don't head up a philanthropic or a major corporation, um, that they can um, get involved too, uh, if only to learn more about the work that both of your organizations do. Um, and I just want to thank uh, Michael Corey and Michael Wilkos for taking some time to give us the picture of what's going on with nonprofits and um, with our community in general. Great. Uh, thank you, Dan. My pleasure to be here. And uh, nice working with you, Michael. It's been an honor, Dan. Thank you so much. And thank you, Michael. Many thanks to the two Michaels for joining us on the show. Please do check out our show notes where you can read the reports we discuss and also learn how you can support Ohio's nonprofits. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio, follow us on Twitter at, at Prognosis Ohio, and friend us on Facebook. We've also got an Instagram account. Imagine that. 
As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please be well.